Hello, and welcome to the Project Good podcast. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Hilton. Project Good is a social impact podcast interviewing experts and advocates about the pressing problems that we face globally and hearing how they suggest we move forward in the future. The Project Good podcast is brought to you by Project Good Work. The goal of this podcast is to inspire people and organizations to develop a mindset that can move others to positive action regarding the complex social issues facing people and the planet. For December, we're focusing on our organization of the year, the International Rescue Committee San Diego or IRC San Diego. The IRC San Diego has been selected because it embodies the Project Good theme of community for the 2023 year. In September 2023, the number of forcibly displaced people worldwide was estimated at 114 million and growing. The figure includes refugees, asylum seekers, internally displaced people, and other people in need of international protection. The International Rescue Committee provides opportunities for refugees, asylum seekers, victims of human trafficking, survivors of torture, and other immigrants to thrive in America. Each year, thousands of people forced to flee violence, persecution, are welcomed by the people of the United States into the safety and freedom of America. These individuals have survived against incredible odds. The IRC collaborates closely with government bodies, civil society actors, local volunteers who support refugees, asylum seekers, and other immigrants in San Diego as they work to rebuild their lives. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Sharon Kennedy, Executive Director and Development Manager, Ben and Donnie at the International Rescue Committee in San Diego. Sharon Kennedy has been in the development space for over 20 years. Ms. Kennedy understands the complexities of getting funding to the right resources and people facing a crisis. Starting her career as a young woman by joining the Peace Corps and working in Thailand set her on the trajectory of working to change lives. As a professional, she's known to be good at managing chaos, crisis, and working for the best outcomes within a diverse workspace and community. Bidette Dane is IRC's development manager in San Diego. Bidette has supported the San Diego office for over three years and manages all aspects of local resource development, including grants, fundraising, contributions in kind, and community engagement to sustain programming and resources for immigrant and refugee families IRC serves. Before starting at IRC, Bennett had a background working and researching overseas in Ecuador, Cuba, Kenya, and Japan. Let's get into the interview. The mission of the International Rescue Committee is to help people whose lives and livelihoods are shattered by conflict and disaster to survive, recover, and gain control over the future. In a world filled with increasing fires, floods, earthquakes, war, and conflict, displacement is increasing worldwide, and large populations of people are having to leave their homes, countries, and everything they know to start anew in countries they never imagined living in. After experiencing traumatic situations, many people can feel lost and need assistance with getting back on their feet. The IRC San Diego serves a growing population of people affected by these global issues, and today we are speaking with Executive Director Sharon Kennedy and Development Manager Bennett Donnie to get a unique perspective of the everyday local challenges and global refugee crisis. Welcome, Sharon and Bennett. Hi, Anne-Marie. Thank you so much for having us. I look forward to our conversation. Yes, I'm so excited about this, and I thought it was obviously um, timely in uh, what we're seeing globally, but also um, 
uh, each year at uh, Project Good Work, we have uh, a theme that we focus on. And this year, uh, we looked at community. And so um, looking at uh, a crisis of uh, refugees and displaced people was perfect because it answers that old question of who is your neighbor? And the IRC um, encompasses that by um, outreaching and stretching um, themselves and help, of course, uh, to everyone that, uh, you know, encounters these difficult situations um, and brings them into a community to feel like home uh, when they are no longer in their regular home. Um, so before I get into asking you um, some questions, I always like to get a personal take on the people that I'm interviewing. And so I'll ask you each uh, uh, the same question, and you guys can um, both answer it. Um, so one of the things that I thought um, that would be kind of difficult in this space is how do you keep yourself uh, going in a sometimes uh, heartbreaking society in this type of industry? Mm, that's a good question. You know, of course, this work is extremely difficult with people uh, coming to us who have gone through inordinate challenges and and setbacks in their lives and having to leave their country and start over. I think what keeps me going is seeing the resilience of our clients and our staff who are working with them to keep achieving. And people come, I think a lot of us would think it'd be unmanageable, unimaginable to lose everything and have to leave our country and start over. Uh, but we see people who do just that, and within a few years, they are doing amazing, and they really have set up a community for themselves uh, in our in our city. Um, whether being being welcomed by their own neighbors and finding their own path through employment or self employment, um, the children doing well at school that that just really inspires me and keeps me going because I know that people are able to rebuild their lives and have a um, a, a I want to say rosy, but have a better outlook for their future. Um, and that's that's it's important work, and that's what inspires me. And what would you say, Bennett? I would certainly echo everything that Sharon just shared. Um, in addition to, I think what keeps me motivated um, and inspired in the everyday and the work that I'm doing is just being able to advocate for our clients and programs through the sphere of development and grants management. And especially so just the volume of clients that we're able to serve each year. So this past year, we served um, just over 7,000 individuals just in San Diego alone. And I really think that being able to advocate for our programs and relentlessly improving those programs to be able to adapt and meet the needs of the community is something that inspires me every day to do my best work, um, as well as just in conversations with our staff, which also um, more than half of whom speak, you know, more than one language or have experienced um, forced displacement of their own. That's always been something that just everyday interactions with our staff has also definitely been a source of motivation for me. I echo um, and appreciate the sentiment of both of you. Um, you know, I because I, when I was thinking about this and when I asked this question, I was like, this has to be like, you know, um, you know, uh, personally taxing. But um, you you both have to have these like, um, I guess, naturally huge hearts <laughs> um, to to undertake, um, you know, um, such work. So um, I'm I'm really excited to have this discussion that we're going to have. Um, I guess let's start at the the beginning. 
Um, because I think a lot of people, when they think about this type of um, a topic of refugees, displaced people, uh, they just think about probably the images they see on TV. And, uh, you know, if they're like me, maybe National Geographic, right? Um, and so I guess, can you clarify, I guess, when you're when we use the word refugee, or maybe we shouldn't even be using the word refugee anymore, um, because uh, the the numbers are so large. Um, what does that really mean? Yeah, generally when we're speaking of a, someone who's a refugee, we're, we're thinking of a very specific definition, which is someone who has been forced to leave their country uh, due to persecution or violence and is unable or unwilling to return to their country due to a well-founded fear of persecution. And that persecution is based on five categories, race, religion, nationality, membership in a particular social group or a political opinion. So it's not someone who leaves their country for economic opportunity, um, but that person who may be able to go back to their country. So a refugee is someone who is not able to go back because they will be persecuted, maybe their ethnic group, their religious group, or they were politically active. Um, and in that case, they get a special special designation by the United Nations that they're a person, a person of international concern um, and they are due special protection. Now, um, uh, you know, one of the things I, I always, you know, I guess because I also am a, a woman, um, so I always think that uh, um, I'm just going to kind of jump on this topic of uh, of women just because I believe in, I don't know, maybe the last uh, three years or so, women have been a hot topic on everything. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, we're on the, on the table. And so um, how would you say uh, uh, women and uh, I guess I don't want to do maybe a verse versus, uh, you know, men versus women. But what are some of the, um, I guess, differences that uh, women encounter um, when, uh, you know, dealing with becoming, um, you know, uh, asylum seekers, refugees or displaced people, I guess. Uh, I'll just uh, for now on, I guess, refer as uh, displaced people that are different than, uh -huh. uh, I guess you would say, m men face. Yeah, thanks. This is a population that is of special concern to the the IRC, not only here in San Diego, but across the, the nation and, and internationally where we work. Um, women, I think by nature of most of our societies, women have often have responsibilities for children. Um, and so when there's a displacement, they may be with their children and having to have also care care for them and try and protect them. Uh, women can be extra vulnerable to to crime, as we all know. Um, and th often they are when they're on their journey, uh, they can they can be exposed to the things that none of us would want to be exposed to them um, by if they're on their own. Um, and men also obviously have responsibilities for children, but in some of the countries where we work with. There may have been war, other things, and families get separated for a variety of reasons, and women are on their own and and making their way. Uh, when they come to the United States and have they become a refugee to the United States and we're able to help them, we we have also noticed that for a lot of our populations of women aren't um, maybe finding employment at the same rate as men, and they may need some extra help to to become employed or to start a business. And we've ha we've developed some programs to make sure we're including women and designing programs for women 
um, to be able to be successful here. It, in some of the countries where our clients come from, the women may not have worked outside of the home um, or may have had less education. This is not the case in every situation, but in some situations. So we pay attention to that and make sure we're providing services that are accessible to women as well as men. Um, and we also have in San Diego a Women's Resilience Center where we provide a lot of support both for economic empowerment reasons, but also social and psychological support for women particularly. And I'm happy to quickly add to that um, as well. I think that San Diego, especially locally, has been making pretty significant advances in embracing and promoting gender equity as an organizational commitment. So just recently over the past year, um, we completed an 11-month gender analysis, conducting focus group discussions with some of our men um, and women clients to to better understand the barriers that they face to even access programming and services so we can make those improvements. And some of the major themes um, that our women and male clients face um, that you know came about through that analysis was right women having most of the home-based responsibilities, which can impact their ability to access services um, and, and obtain um, stability. And that there are, um, you know, a significant amount of our women clients also experience barriers to achieving financial independence and stability for the reasons that Sharon just articulated, and often face a dependence on their male counterparts for mobility. Um, and so that also we discovered as well, um, kind of indicates that, right, the men in these families sometimes experience a brunt of household stress when they're often trying to um, obtain an in income to sustain their families as well as continue to send money abroad. Um, and so there's are definitely some of the the big challenges that are faced in, in addition to shifting cultural dynamics from the country that they, you know, had called home. And then when they come to the United States, um, it's a very different cultural dynamics that often impact um, and increase the barriers that they face when they get here. Now, speaking, I guess, of, uh, I guess, uh, culture and cultural impacts, and uh, you brought up a couple um, different um, uh, things to, I guess, to highlight, of course, you know, uh, um, well, I would say, um, I know this is a general broad stroke, but in, I'll say in uh, um, a good amount, maybe 70%, I guess, of, of, of the world, um, uh, we'll say women um, tend to be dependent, I guess, if they are in like a family situation on, um, you know, having uh, that, that male provider. Um, and so um, when we are looking, I guess, uh, and I know um, not only culture, but of course, uh, society plays um, into that whole um, dynamic. Um, what would you say, I guess, where are, I guess, I don't know if you're allowed to disclose that. Uh, but where would you say most of the displaced people um, in the San Diego region um, come from? I can answer that question. Uh, I'll give you several of the top countries where our clients come from. One is Afghanistan. We also serve, and in, in, we have a lot of services that are for people who are not refugees, who are also have other statuses in the United States. So people from Mexico, Ukraine, Iraq. And Syria, that would be the top ones this past year of people we served. Um, and it, you know, changes all the time over the years. There's different populations that come from different countries, and obviously Iraq. I mean, excuse me, Afghanistan. A few years ago, there was a you know the U.S. pulled out, and there was a big operation to assist 
Afghans who had assisted U.S. military and U.S. organizations in Afghanistan. And a lot of people came over from Afghanistan to the United States in just a very short time. And that became our main population. So I guess with now, um, you know, uh, we've, we've seen since last year and this year, um, obviously now we are, uh, there's uh, two war- uh, wars going on or, well, I just, actually there's more, but um, I guess two that get the, <laughs> yeah. the biggest, the, the, I guess the ones that get the biggest highlight. Um, I, yeah, I guess I'm, well, that's a whole other thing <laughs> to talk about. It gets highlights, but uh-huh. um, we get, uh, we have the, you know, uh, war in Ukraine that um, uh, I think has continued longer than people expected. Um, and then also now we have, you know, um, the, the crisis in Gaza, um, and so, um, is it likely then, do you think that you'll, you'll start to see, uh, people come, uh, shifting towards, uh, California from there or not necessarily? Cause I don't know, I guess, um, I was thinking like, uh, uh, we might be just here naive in, in California, um, but, uh, I always feel like everybody goes to the East coast or, um, or Europe or some, uh, somewhere, but is that, uh, totally false? Like, uh, I guess, how do people get to, uh, um, I like California, but, uh, how do people get lucky enough to come to California? <laughs> yeah. It's probably good to talk about the process of someone becoming a refugee to the United States. Uh, and this is someone who comes through the refugee channel. So I already shared the definition definition earlier where someone has to demonstrate that you know they are not able to go back to their own country and they're based on certain persecution. And the United States actually goes and finds people who are refugees and interviews them overseas. It's done through the Department of Homeland Security to identify refugees and accepts refugees accepts people and gives them refugee status to the come to the United States. So this is this is not an instantaneous process. It can take many years. And generally, let's just talk about any war, not 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 either of the wars that you have mentioned, but let, let's say there's a war in a country um, um, and there's people who flee that flee that situation, whether maybe it was their region, their ethnicity, their religion, or, or, or something that, you know, caused a certain group of people to leave and go to a neighbor, usually to a neighboring country. So now they've left their country, they're outside of their own border, and they don't feel they can go back because of uh, one of the reasons that we know race, religion, nationality, etc. And then generally, people may stay for some time in that situation. It could be in a refugee camp, or it could be in an urban area where you know they're 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 living, but they may not have full status in that country. They may have a very limited status in that country. But essentially, uh, I I would get, I will say this is not always in every case, but people are hoping to go back. You know, they think like you mentioned, the war in Ukraine has gone on longer than we thought. Sometimes when these wars start or conflicts, internal conflicts, a lot, most wars are civil wars. So they're within a country, not a different country invading another country. Um, uh, there are people are hoping that they will be, will be able to go back home. So when they end up in a refugee camp, it's thought by everybody that it might be short term. And maybe this will last a few weeks, maybe a few months, um, and then we can go back. And so that's the initial plan that people would be able to go back. But unfortunately, a lot of wars are protracted. They go on for many, many, many years, and people end up in that kind of indeterminate status for a long time, and they're not able to fully live their lives. You know, they, they have their kids. They're growing up in a refugee camp, 
um, or in an urban area where they don't have all the full rights and status um, of that country. And at that point, or at some point, the United States government might say, I think we can look at refugees uh, from this area. It doesn't look like they have good prospects for going back to the country. We can we, we can look and see who are the people who, who um, are deserving of extra protection in the United States. And they will interview people, confirm that they meet the definition of a refugee. Uh, they go through a series of background checks, and then they organize for them to come to the United States. So this is called third country resettlement. So they've left the country they grew up in or they were living in. They lived in a second country, and now they're coming to the United States as a third country and that when they come here as a refugee, it's considered to be a permanent resettlement, that they will be able to, if they want to, uh, live the rest of their lives here. They're eligible to work from the first day they arrive, and they can stay. Uh, after five years, they can apply to become a U.S. citizen, and they can um, live their lives in the United States. So that process is not... Uh, quick, as you can imagine. It can be bureaucratic, and it's not everybody. It's a very small percentage of, of all the refugees. You mentioned over 114 million displaced people. Um, the U.S. this year expects to admit, as refugees, about 125,000, uh, which is just a drop in the bucket. But for those people, it's, it's an amazing opportunity. But that process is it's long. Um, and so even people from Ukraine, there have been some people coming to the, to the United States from Ukraine since the war started, but they're not coming with refugee status. They're coming with a different status because the refugee status, the refugee program um, takes a, takes much longer. Um, it's not wieldy like that. So, so when we say like, are we expecting to have people from these wars um, as refugees? I'm not sure. Not not probably immediately, but they there may be other ways that people are able to come. Um, and obviously, you know, you mentioned also asylum seekers. This is a different population of people that come to the United States, but they come on their own. They don't come through the government program. They present themselves at the border and they ask to be given asylum. And that's a whole other process that's separate from the refugee uh, program. So I, I, you know, one of the things, um, thank you for explaining the process, because I think a lot of times, and I, I'll just say that this is um, for people who are not intimately uh, involved um, uh, with this issue, and then also, you know, just the general population, um, that it seems that the it's presented that the process seems easier than it is. Yeah, it's not easy. And there's so few out of all the, you know, the million, the hundred plus million people, there's so few that it's, it's really kind of rare, actually, uh, of all displaced people to become a refugee and come to the United States. Yes, and 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 the reason I'm bringing up this this point is, um, you know, there's this. Uh, we're going to go on uh, kind of a, a little bit of a different journey, but I think it's an important one to acknowledge because um, there's uh, a little bit of fear when the people here, you know, there's a lot of uh, refugees coming or asylum seekers uh, for, um, you know, uh, for various reasons uh, depending on you know who you ask. Um, but, you know, the fact that you have mentioned just how small out of the millions and millions of people who are affected uh, by this, um, and that should give a, you know, a new perspective to everyone of how, I guess, to to look at it in a different and different way. Hello, everyone. It's Anne-Marie from the Project Good podcast. We must start to do a mind shift in our individual thinking and actions to realize that we are one humanity facing some major global giants 
and that we can no longer stand on the sidelines and be ignorant about all the issues facing us. Change always starts somewhere. Reach people who care about what you care about. Advertise on the Project Good podcast today by contacting us at projectgood.org slash podcast. You, you brought something that, um, that I think is important because, um, you know, obviously everybody's affected in a, a displacement process, but um, how the children then have to kind of uh, take the lead in the family and facing, um, you know, um, not only, I guess, uh, childhood is challenging in itself, right? Um, uh, so that's, uh, you know, something that people, I guess, can can think about is, um, I guess, ways when they do encounter somebody who has been in displaced and, you know, and uh, the children to open up and think of it a different perspective of uh, the role that the children have um, had to undertake. Um, what would you say is uh, one of the uh, biggest challenges that you are, uh, that have you, I guess you faced this year in your organization or something that you think that you're going to face in uh, 2024? Um. I think our biggest challenge as an organization, I, th I think we face the, the same challenges. Um, one is a lot of nonprofit, you know, really trying to continue to receive support from our, our community, um, our funders and donors, and always make it a constant effort at that. Um, programmatically, I think some of the challenges are housing. Housing in San Diego is extremely expensive, and we try to um, help our families get into housing safe, affordable housing as soon as possible, that is becoming more and more of a challenge, though um, we are we are finding success in that, but it's a, a, a challenging a challenge that I see. Um, in the coming year, you know, just to be honest, I think with the, with the election, there may be some challenging rhetoric um, in that during the during the election process. Um, so we're paying attention to that, which uh, might draw more attention to uh, refugees and immigrants in general um, in the United States. And then also, if, if you have anything to add on the other challenges we're facing. Yeah, I think um, echoing what you just shared, the fact that being that we're, you know, a large nonprofit in the area, um, the majority of our budget, for instance, 85 percent is restricted through grant funding. Um, and so I think that that, you know, continues to be a challenge is to make sure that we can equitably serve all of our clients, regardless of their country of origin. Um, or immigration status. And so I think that being able to continue the flexibility of our programs to serve all clients from all nationalities and backgrounds continues to be a challenge to source those flexible funds. Um, so I would just end with that and kind of that, that there is a call to not right, underestimate the power of, of individual donations that are really key in enabling that flexibility to continue to provide um, equitable service delivery across the board. Um, and I'm and I'm sure that is very similar, um, you know, uh, concern and challenge that many of the nonprofits in our area are facing. Now, if people want to donate to the organization, of course, they can uh, uh, go to your website. But are there other types of donations that they can uh, supply? I, I know you mentioned housing. I don't know if it can't really necessarily be a donation, but um, I guess uh, do people look for like clothing, f uh, food? Are there specific things that people um, can uh, do besides also donating uh, funds? Yes, of, of course, donating funds is the most flexible way to support us. But we do also receive in-kind donations and we have a wish list, an Amazon wish list 
that's on our website where people can provide items, including food for a, a food pantry that we have, but also we're always in need of household items and other things. We don't generally take clothing. We don't have a, a storage area for clothing like some nonprofits may have, but there are a lot of items that we, we do need and um, it's on our website and we can send you the link as well. And then we also use utilize volunteers. Um, and so people are welcome to learn about our volunteer and internships that we have available and contribute that way. It's a really important part of, of us being able to provide the services that we have. Fantastic. And also, I'd like to add, just add the other ways that people may, may be able to help. You mentioned housing. There may be people who are landlords. Um, and so if you're a landlord and, and you would like to help, you can reach out to us. And then employers. Our clients need jobs and uh, we and they're excellent employees. And we have a team that works to help them get into their first job and then also to build a career in the United States. And so we're always looking for employers who are looking for great employees. Yes, actually, that's a that's a great one in employment. Um, and I have a fun question, or at least I think it's fun. I guess, what would you say is the most remarkable thing that you have uh, learned about people um, when you are uh, working with, um, I guess, displaced uh, displaced individuals? I've, I've thought about this a lot. I've been working at the IRC since 1996 and many years, and I've worked you know very closely with a lot of clients. And I think the most remarkable thing, I've two things. One is how cruel people can be. Uh, and, and, and what people can suffer through and when, when countries fall apart or when, when there's war or conflict. And I think, you know, we see a lot of that in, in the news about the, the wars now that it's just, it's, it, it, it's just incredible to think what people have had to go through and it can be really, um, disempowering and, and cause you to feel dejected. But then on the other piece, I'm completely amazed by the resilience of people and, and the, 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 the power that they they get to go through that process and to show up and be ready to start afresh and to learn a new language and build a life especially for their kids and for their families um, that to me is is amazing and it's it's remarkable I think it's just the human spirit is remarkable and we see it every day you know kind of like the people who have gone through the worst and then they're able to come here and and put the put a really hard work in to succeed here. I guess, um, Bennett, do you have uh, uh, any comments? Yeah, I share very similar sentiments. I really think that it's the resiliency and the creativity of our new arrivals um, that really stand out. Um, one example, for instance, is just all of the many small businesses, for instance, that are supported through the Small Business Development Center. They have incredibly creative businesses and restaurants and food and just amazing things that they're contributing um, throughout the San Diego region. And that is one thing that I think um, stands out just in terms of their ability, for instance, to navigate the dynamic and fast moving and oftentimes very challenging economic landscape that we find ourselves in in San Diego County in particular. Um, and so I really think that that resilience um, and creativity stand out. I agree. What I mean, for me, you think about a hopeful future is someone starting their own business. And re refugees and immigrants do that a lot. They are amazing business owners, and we have programs that help them support it. And um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, 
it's a vote for themselves and a vote for the future. I mean, they're, they're putting everything on the line to do that. And that that's, there's your, uh, your proof of, of resilience. Yes, uh, definitely. Um, it's a challenge, even if you're um, not a, a refugee to start a business. And so for them to, you know, push themselves even after going through so much um, trauma and, um, and, you know, actually a whole new uh, system and world um, to then push themselves into entrepreneurship, which is um, a challenge in itself, is uh, um, amazing. But, um, uh, you know, I guess... Um, Perhaps uh, once you have been through such a tough situation, um, which is probably the ultimate challenge of life, um, then you, you may, it maybe opens you up to be able to take on um, things that nobody else could imagine doing. And so I have a, uh, a question that uh, this will be our, our last question before we, we wrap it up. Um, I wanted to see if I, um, how the words to you, community and refugee, reflect each other. They, to me, they reflect each other perfectly because refugees become part of a community and they are welcomed by a community. I mean, it's what, it's what makes people feel that they are at home. Uh, and we don't, we don't resettle refugees into an apartment we resettle them into a neighborhood, into a community, into a city. You know, they 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 shop at the store. Their kids go to school. They get jobs. They become uh, taxpayers and members of our community. And so it's part and parcel of the work. Um, and and I think when I think of IRC and think of community, we couldn't do our work without the community. Uh, the community helps, like Bennett said. We we receive funding, but a lot of it is highly restricted, which is amazing and allows us to do the work we do. But the community helps us fill in all the gaps of of needs, whether it's in-kind donations, whether uh, it's a uh, volunteering and, or being an intern or or uh, making a donation. But that 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 it to us is community. And that's really important part of our work. And it's it's really important for our refugees. Like you said, people, if they fled their homes, they want to feel safe and secure, and they want to feel like they're a part of our society and that they belong. And that's that's that, that's what the community is. Beneth, do you have anything? Yeah, of course. Um, I can certainly add to that. Um, I think that you know, stepping in to support displaced communities everywhere is definitely something that you know, care and compassion is at the heart of that, and care and compassion is at the heart of community in terms of how I define it. Um, and so I think that neighbors stepping in to help neighbors um, is something that we're doing every day and we're trying to write, encourage and advocate for all of our, you know, community members in San Diego to step in and really be a part of helping people become a part of, you know, the community that we're all in um, in creating kind of a, a network of, you know, a worldwide community where we can celebrate everyone's cultural differences and um unique attributes that they can, you know, bring to the communities that they're entering. Um, so that's where I think that there is that unique intersection between um, refugee resettlement and resettlement um, in support of all displaced communities from refugees, asylum seekers, asylees, special immigrant visa holders, dreamers, you name it. Um, I think that that welcoming them is, is at the very heart of having, you know, a productive and positive and hopeful community. I love both of your answers because it made me think of two uh, words. It made me think of the word healing and diversity. 
and putting those together that it and and then of course you know encompassing that and community of um you know what we should i guess all be striving for that it doesn't matter uh i guess uh, where you are or where you're from um that you know we all uh need uh to uh you know feel that we are um part of something and that we are connected to something and that um the other thing that uh also amazed me Sharon is that you told me that um uh, that they don't, uh, that you guys don't put them in apartments, you put them in a neighborhood. And so that is, uh, that's, that's wow, because they instantly, they don't feel, um, you know, apartments are, um, I guess, no pun, but pun, we know they're boxes, right? <laughs> um, so instead of, um, you know, putting them in a box, allowing them to have uh, the ability to be fluid, and to um, come together with, uh, you know, different people and to interact and to walk down the street and go to the store and uh, look out the window and feel connected um, is, you know, the two words I'm thinking is healing and bringing out uh, whatever, you know, culture or experience they have and adding to the uh larger community and city and of course you know uh, it has a ripple uh, effect in the society so i love uh, both what you guys have said about um, how community and refugee reflect each other uh, thank you both for your time today um, to learn more about the irc san diego go to rescue.org additionally you can find information for donations volunteer opportunities and other ways to assist in the show notes and on the Project Good Work website blog article. If you have a passion for an unserved community, a social justice problem, or want to change minds, contact Project Good Work at projectgood.work to start your project of change today. It's that time again. The Changemaker Conference is happening May 23rd, 2024. Register now at thechangemakerconference.com. Subscribe to our mailing list at projectgood.work slash subscribe to get our episodes and blog articles sent to you each month, plus get a 10% discount on any project you start on projectgood.work. For our listeners, thanks for tuning in to Project Good, where we're focused on what matters.